does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Eight o'clock hour underway. Song takes me back. To where? Takes me back to college. To the movie theater. Which watching Free Willy jump over those rocks and be free and join his family. You gotta hope that Toki, is that how they say it? I think so. Fifty seven years old, fifty of those in captivity being released back to the wild. So I would assume that they know, like, how you make that. I don't know how you make that. Like, you know, you can't, like, exactly slowly reintroduce back into the wild, right? Just off and running. This is a koi fish. You'll see a lot of those. (laughs) Yeah. But but it's a cool story. Just hope it turns out with a happy ending. Joining us now on the Payless Stickers Hotline, he had a busy weekend that we'll begin with and recapping. It's been a couple days since we talked to him. But Greg Rakestra, in terms of the high school state finals, um, I don't know that there were any overwhelming like surprises or shocks, but just to kind of put a put a bow tie on it, what were the storylines that most impressed you with the high school state finals? You know, obviously, you know, the matchup between Zane Dowdy and, and Floyd Badunga as far as the 4A game is concerned, and Ben Davis, you know, completing that perfect season to be 33-0. and I thought in the morning session, you know, I think most of us thought Lutron would win not necessarily by 31 points or, or scored 97 points. Um, and, and, and maybe Blackhawk Christian beating Linton Stockton was a slight surprise. We thought that'd be a very competitive game. Uh, but overall, fantastic crowds, especially for the evening session, and two really good games to kind of cap off uh, the season in terms of the 3A and 4A contests uh, at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. You know, you talked about, and I thought he was played really well. Benunga, you could certainly see the talent. Um, and Ben Davis, I just thought, Greg, and you tell me if, if I'm off base here, because I didn't watch from horn to horn per se, but when I did tune in, I, I felt like people got what they wanted to see or what the expectation was, and that is that you saw one guy that clearly is a very dynamic talent that at times flashed that talent, and then you had another team that – maybe doesn't have any eights, nines, or tens on its roster, but has a bunch of guys that are no lower than a seven and really played well together. And and that's what people wanted to see, right? The ultimate team. And not to take anything away from the other kids for Kokomo. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but I feel like both sides of what they were billed to be performed to that level. Correct. You know, you could. it's fair to say that the best player on the floor, um, and, and again, certainly from a, a future standpoint, but the most dynamic player on the floor played for Kokomo. The next best five players on the floor played for Ben Davis. And that, has what, that is what made this Ben Davis team what they were. You know, Zane Dowdy was your leading scorer, and clearly he was their most impactful player in the game on Saturday night. But it would almost be like on different nights, different guys would take turns kind of being the alpha and being the guy that would go out and dominate. They had one time all year where a player had more than 23 points in a game because no player averaged more than 14 points. That was Zane Dowdy, and Zane had 20 in the championship game. But kind of the one superlative performance 
they had was kind of in a runaway game. It was their Bloomington North semi-state game that was a running clock by the end of the third quarter. Sheridan Sharp had 31 points in that game. I can think of you know what Mark Zachary did in the Marion County Final or the Hall of Fame Classic, but it, it was the team, the team, the team every step of the way for that Ben Davis bunch. Greg. Greg Rickstraw joining us on the Payless Liggers Hotline on Kevin and Quarry. Greg, was that was that one of the more who's who crowds when it comes to college coaches that you've been in a, a part of, or is that uh, that kind of par for the course? There's always a um, there, there's always a, a handful of coaches at the state finals. Never that high of a concentration, all sitting next to each other, and and the IHSA has kind of now changed revamp how I do like the, the courtside seating, media seating, et cetera. So it looks a little bit different uh, kind of after the pandemic than it did beforehand. So it used to be those guys would occupy like the baseline seats. Now they've got the courtside seats like right next to me, like our four person table for, for the television crew. It kind of, kind of breaks up the old, you know, Showtime Lakers seating. So yes, to my left, you would have uh, Mike Woodson, uh, John Calipari, Dwayne Casey, Tom Izzo, Mike Lewis, Juwan Howard to my right, Matt Crenshaw, John Kaufman, um, you know, numerous other kind of mid-major coaches down down the right-hand side of, of, of Matt Graves when Indiana State was there. Um, it, it was the biggest who's who in my 20 years of covering the state finals that I can remember. You know, Greg, as I was looking at it, Zane Dowdy – had originally committed to Valparaiso. They had a coaching yeah. change. He exercised his option to reopen his his recruiting. And so far, the schools that I've seen, the ilks of uh, IUPUI, Southern Illinois, um, Ball State has recently offered him, Eastern Kentucky, so schools of that range. And I'm watching him, and I'm thinking to myself, and Greg, I want you to tell me if, if you agree with this because you would have watched these guys play but I'm watching Zane Dowdy, and I'm like, this feels like the kind of guy that absolutely is going to be one of those stories four years from now in March on a Ball State or an Eastern Kentucky or whatever that is playing for like a 10 or 11 seeded mid-major that is 28 and 5, and they're saying, yeah, it's a really experienced and smart ball club, and here's a guy that, you know, went head-to-head against – Flory Redunga back when he was in high school, and he's going to be a Matt Howard-type player that is going to just be a solid, really darn good anchor for a program somewhere. Very much so. Um, to Zane's credit, um, and, it's, and it's, it's almost the same thing about Flory Redunga, he knows what he is and doesn't try to do what, what he's not. So he's not he's, as of right now, he's not a pick-and-pop guy. I'm not sure I saw Zane take a shot from more than 10 feet away in the – you know, double-digit number of times that I watched Ben Davis play this year. He knew what his role was. His role was to make post moves. And it was refreshing to see that, you know, it was old-school basketball. Ben Davis, basically, they were going to post-touch every time down the floor and kind of play off of that. He had shooters around him. His job was to make a move, jump hook, step back, um, but then – Go get the ball. You know, he and Sean Arnold were so good at extending possessions for that Ben Davis team. And OESBA shot blocker as well. So he's a kid that knows his role. Um, again, is, is he a Big Ten level player? Probably not. 
but do I think that maybe he can even play at an even higher level than some of the offers that he has had at this point? Um, I would agree with that. Although I'm not going to lie, I'd love to be calling his games against IUPUI next year if that's the decision that he would make. But wherever he goes, I wish him nothing but the best because he's been really fun to watch these last couple of years. Well, switching over to the college hardwood rake, let's get your uh, final four predictions. Florida Atlantic against San Diego State and Miami UConn. Who do you have playing in the national championship game? Uh, I would say probably UConn and San Diego State, but I'm not going to lie. I'd be rooting for Miami and Florida Atlantic. I want to see the guys that have local ties do well. You know, much as I saw, you know, Zane Dowdy play a, a truckload this year, the same would have been said for Nigel Pack, uh, his junior and especially his senior years. And I always thought that he was very much an undervalued commodity coming out of high school. So I'm so happy for the success he has had at Miami and want to see him do well. You know, for Florida Atlantic, John L. Davis was a kid that, you know, kind of, you know, even though he was the same class as Nigel Pack, class of 2020, you know, John L.'s Q rating was 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 damaged so much by uh, the, the COVID pandemic. You know, I really thought that Gary 21st Century would have won the 1A championship, and more people would have known about him uh, had they been able to finish the tournament. Uh, more people would have known about him had they been able to play the Indiana-Kentucky All-Star Series that year. He's clearly an All-Star. So he's a kid out of Gary that not many people outside of Gary, you know, knew about or had seen play. And so I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him that he's getting this stage. Obviously, Dusty May, you know, being a Southern Indiana guy, you know, you're, you're cheering for him and rooting for him. Uh, and, and you've got, you know, this is the, the only matchup I can think of in the, in the final four that is anywhere close to this is Butler and VCU playing in 2011. Now, hopefully we get a better championship game uh, than we got in 2011. But knowing that you've either got a Mountain West school or a Conference USA on their way to the American Athletic Conference school, I think that's the future destination for Florida Atlantic. Um, that the, the one of those two is playing for a national championship, I think, is really super cool. So, again, if you ask me in my heart of hearts, I'd probably say UConn and San Diego State. I'm rooting for it to be the other way around. Greg, does it feel like college basketball now that, that we're going to have – like Nigel Pack's a good example, okay? I think there are a lot of people that say, like, oh, Nigel Pack, you know, was a really good player for Lawrence Central, and I thought he should have been recruited to a higher level, yada, yada, yada. And maybe his recruiting was stunted a little bit. I don't know this, but I don't know what he did on the AAU circuits. But that does it, does it feel to you, because it does to me, like recruiting has now become almost more of a summer evaluation period than when a guy is playing with the school name on his jersey, which – Old guy yelling at clouds here. I, I I prefer it to see what a guy's like when he's playing with his high school classmates and representing his school than representing his his latest AAU travel team. But it's been that way for a while. I, I know, um, I, but it's and it's and it's not going back, right? Correct. And I and I and I and I'm very much with you. Um, and 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 you know, I actually went to a big school. I'll be you know, time I can't stay. Obviously, had a great year this year. But one that was down, unfortunately, uh, for Bruce Weber, you know, kind of at the time that, that he went there. Um, but, but still, you're recruited a Big 12. I'm not a school, I'm not sure you're under-recruited uh, in a guy like Nigel. But absolutely, um, it, is, it is more summer-based, AAU-based than it is kind of what you do during your high school season. Yeah, I just, you know, part of it is I want to see 
how a guy responds when he's surrounded by players that maybe are not as good as he, not only mm-hmm. on the court, but just how he handles and carries himself with that. Sure, sure. I, it can go a long way, right? I would agree with that, absolutely. Rick, I want to get your thoughts on the Colts uh, to this point in the offseason. How have you evaluated what they've done, they've added or subtracted, and then how do you think they're looking at the draft when it comes to quarterbacks, however you want to answer well, the, that question? Well, you know, it's, it's obviously an incomplete grade in terms of so much is going to be kind of the last chess piece that gets moved as to what quarterback are you taking it for? Are you moving up to three uh, to kind of get the guy you want? Exactly how is the board going to fall knowing that two quarterbacks are coming off the board at one and two to Carolina and Houston? So, you know, I, I, I like the Minshew move. Um, everything else, it's, it's, it's kind of wait and see mode. Um, and, and, you know, it, is there the outside chance that they're not drafting a quarterback at three or four because they're bringing in somebody else to play the quarterback position? I just don't think that's the case. Um, but you have to acknowledge that possibility. So the way that it's playing out now, you kind of get the feeling that this is a, a, a couple three-year process. They're about to start you know, kind of going through with this team, which is something that maybe we had kind of prepared for mentally in 2012. It didn't work out that way in very much a, a positive aspect. But if we're, if we're handing out grades, they'd get an I right now because there's no way you can put the pieces together without, without knowing whom the quarterback is going to be, and we'll have that answer about four weeks from now. Did you ever get a W when you were in college, Greg, a withdrawal? Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I kind of needed to to either keep a scholarship or stay on an athletic team. There were a couple of W's in my academic record. Absolutely. Yeah. What about I? Did you ever get an incomplete? I did not get an incomplete because I got those W's instead. <laughs> uh, I, and I'm going to guess that means no F's, right? No, no F's. Uh, I, I, may, I think I think the floor for me was a C minus. So let's just say that my academic record in college that I had figured out by the time I was a sophomore or junior. Hey, that like near 4.0 that I had in high school that got me to college, uh, I'm a radio and TV major. As long as I can keep my academic scholarship, a 3-4 is perfectly fine uh, from, from my college days. Yeah, I, I, I can certainly relate. I, I, you know, the the withdrawal I had, I had an entire semester withdrawals because I got mono. That's a decent excuse though, right? Legitimate excuse, yes. I mean, it was brutal, man. It was great, great weight loss program, but I slept like twenty-two hours a day. It was, um, I was like a cat. It was unbelievable. Um, if it's a weight loss program. You have my attention. By the way, speaking <laughs> of cats, how's how's Boo doing? Boo is good, thank you. Boo, actually, last night we had a breakthrough, Greg. I, I adopted Boo one week ago, uh, yesterday, and last night the the first night that he he learned how to get up into the bed two days ago, uh, which wasn't bad, except for that. About every 30 minutes, he was doing a wellness check. Um, last night, to my recollection, I, either I'm a really heavy sleeper now or he learned the lesson and he just simply slept in a little bed that's off for him on the side and didn't bother me. So that's good. Nice. He's he's loving it. Now, I, I, this weekend I go to Texas, so we're going to find out. I mean, I may well come home to him holding a lighter and smoldering behind him. I don't know. You know what I mean? We're going we're gonna to find out how he does on his own for the weekend. But thank you for asking. Um with the Colts, and I'm going to ask Stephen this as well. Greg Greg Rakestraw is our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. We talked about this with Zach Kiefer this week. I think it's an interesting storyline to keep an eye on. Do you get the sense, Greg, that Jim Irsay is starting to start to drop the subtle hints that the clock is now? 
and by that I mean I think he does believe in Chris Ballard a great deal, but I think he's been very patient with Chris Ballard, and I think that it's important for Jim Ursay that the fans understand that that patience is not going to be forever. To, cer- to a certain degree, yes, but I think you also have to acknowledge kind of where you are and the, and, and the moves that you have kind of made. Um, and I realize there is a lot shorter of a runway for a first-round draft pick a quarterback than there used to be. And let's face it, you know, you, you have to go back to Jeff George before you really had that incubation period that never really clicked. You know, by year, you saw flashes in year number one. By year number two, Peyton Manning won 13 games. In year number one of Andrew Luck, you won 11 games and you were a playoff team. And so there, there, there isn't that recent track record in terms of, okay, new quarterback, it's going to take a little while. But kind of look at the way everything else is kind of, you know, stacked up for the Colts. Again, the, the, the expectations are not through the roof, whoever the quarterback is going to be. Now, again, let me cite the last time, and not just the, the numbers, but I vividly remember being at training camp in Anderson in August of 2012, and you know Jim has one or two kind of preseason impromptu press conferences from the golf cart you know, on the sidelines. And in 2012, when I asked about his expectations, he goes, you know, I, I think by the end of the season we can be competing for a wild card spot. And people, you know, were laughing out loud. And he's like, no, I'm serious. Well, it turns out he was right. That was an 11-win football team. And we all thought it was going to be about a 5-win football team. So if, if Jim has different expectations than Chris, maybe that shouldn't be surprising. We have the history that, that can tell us something like that. Um, again, I, I want to see whom they draft before I then say, hey, I, I think this is more of rebuild mode. But that's the general feeling that I get right now. Now, could Jim want it to be that way? I'm sure he doesn't. But I just kind of think that's how the pieces are put together at this point. Greg Rakestraw joining us for a couple more minutes on Kevin and Query this morning. Greg, we got you on. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Indy 11 who have their home opener on Saturday against the Las Vegas Lights. What can you tell us about the Indy 11? Uh, They've had two matches so far, but heading into their uh, home opener on Saturday. A couple of really good results because they pulled four points out of six against playoff teams from last year uh, in terms of a draw against Tampa Bay three weeks ago. Uh, and, and getting a 1-0 win in miserable conditions in Detroit that seemingly are going to be replicated uh, tomorrow for, from a wind standpoint. There was wind, rain, some snow mixed in last week. Uh, I, I can't remember an Indy 11 match that was played in windier conditions than last week's match in Detroit was. So um, this, is, this is a good team they have put together. You know, They have went out and acquired some guys that have been really good players in our league for a long time. Sebastian Guinzotti, Jack Blake, Aiden Quinn, Cam Lindley, obviously, who was a local and, and played for the team some three years ago. Uh, and, and that um, you know, kind of follows up some, some moves that were made at the midway point of last season to bring in guys like Jesus Vasquez and Juan Tejada and Robbie Dambrot, who unfortunately is injured. And we'll see him in a couple of weeks, I, I think, but, but he's been out since February with a foot injury suffered in one of the preseason friendlies. But, you know, this, this should be a playoff team. Um, we'll see, and I, I think it's possible that they can compete for one of the top spots in the Eastern Conference this year. And right now they're, they're three points back or so early with a game or two in hand. They've only played twice. But the results have been really good. To put it in perspective, it took the Indy 11 five matches to have five points on the board. They've got four points on the board through two and have yet to play a home game. And they are home largely the entirety of April, with the exception of one road trip out to Orange County coming up in a couple of weeks. So 
It's going to be a fun team to watch. I think it's going to be a really good team. And, and so far, so good from a results standpoint now, through the embryonic stages of the season. The Las Vegas lights have to play only night games, right? Well, since it's a thousand degrees out there, uh, you know, usually <laughs> during the summer, that's probably better for everybody involved. But yes, I get the reference you're making. Yeah. It's like the opposite of the old Cubs, Mark, back in your That's right. That's correct. Uh, Greg, appreciate it. So do you have, other than the Indy 11, do you actually get time to catch your breath here over the course of the weekend? I have have the rest of the weekend off. I've got to finish, you know, soccer Saturday. As the liner says, if this is your football, this is your show. That's tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. But from a a play-by-play standpoint, I was actually set to do a Butler baseball game on Sunday afternoon, and that got moved to accommodate weather. So off today – off Sunday, welcome to like the rare bit of downtime that pretty much ends for me like next week as baseball and softball sort of get more ramped up from a high school and small college standpoint. But yes, a very relaxing weekend for yours truly. All right. Well, enjoy it, Greg. We appreciate the time as always. Have a good weekend. See you, bud. All right. Greg Rakestraw on the Payless Liquors Hotline. One interesting note, Mark, about the uh, Las Vegas Lights. Yeah. Uh, the Las Vegas Lights in the same soccer league as the Indy 11. Uh, Las Vegas, as you know, one of the not only the fastest growing communities in the United States, but certainly from a sports center, uh, from a sports standpoint. Kevin Bowen is in Cincinnati for the day. I think he's got his shirt off after the Mike Micah Shrewsbury uh, press conference. I'm sure that's, you know, Cincinnati, though, big Catholic town. There are probably a lot of Notre Dame fans there. They're probably like, hell yeah, let's go, right? Probably. Sir, you're in the aquarium. You need to put your shirt on. He should go to that hat store. I'm telling you, there's a fantastic – it's a Greek gentleman. His family business has been there for over 100 years in downtown Cincinnati. And if you want a true, like a pork pie hat or a top hat or a derby hat, it's a place to be, man. How much is that costing you, though? Oh, they're, like, custom-made. So, you know, I went in there once. The guy's like, you know, $300. (laughs) Okay. But it's super cool just to be in there and – Kind of soak in the obvious. So brows don't buy is what you're saying. That's correct, yes. Okay. Uh, joining us now in the Payless Liquors Hotline, you can read his work at ESPN.com. He was out in Arizona with Jim Irsay. Stephen Holder joins us. And, Stephen, I'm going to get right to the meat of the matter. I want you to play with me a game of finish this sentence. You ready? Uh, let's see. I think. I'm going to be <laughs> Roger Goodell. I'm standing at a podium. I'm overlooking the crowd in Kansas City. And I say, the fourth pick. The 2023 NFL Draft, the Indianapolis Colts select quarterback. Fill in the blank. I think, I think Anthony Richardson. Mm-hmm. You think it's? Do you think that Richardson yesterday? Now, has your? Because I can't remember. I know that I've asked you this before, right? Mm-hmm. Coming off of the combine, you know, I was told by a couple of people that Ursay, not Ballard, but Ursay, really liked Will Levis. Um, I, I have no idea, like the level of accuracy to that. But do you think there has been any change since the combine, or has this been a thought you've had for a while? Um, the the combine definitely played into it. I, I did learn a lot during the combine uh, about how they feel about Anthony Richardson. They have they have spent a lot of time investigating Anthony Richardson. That is what I can tell you now. My understanding is they've they've done their they've they've, excuse me they have done their homework on Will Levis as well and and there is a positive impression of him. 
I have less information about. I was trying to explain this to JMV the other day because I think he he probably is along the the same mindset as you, leaning more toward Will Levis being their guy. And look, none of us really know, right? But we're just trying to read tea leaves. But what I know about their their quarterback preferences, I know more about how they feel about Richardson than Levis. So I admit to that. And maybe that is coloring my perception of this. But I do know they they have a very high opinion of, of Richardson. I also think that position here to to make the, the higher upside pick. I mean, they've waited this long to do it, right? Will Levis, I have no idea what he's going to be, but I, I just think the upside with Richardson is higher. Now, so is perhaps the floor with Richardson, right? I understand that too. But I think, look, they are not winning anything this year. My my suggestion would be go with the higher upside pick so long as you check all the boxes that you need to check. And this is a long-term thing for the Colts. This is not about this year or even next year for that matter. Uh, this team is on a long-term plan in my estimation. With that being said, with the, so many uh, holes on the roster and whatnot, do you think there's any chance they don't take a quarterback in four and maybe just take best player available or maybe even trade down? I just don't think you can justify it. I really don't. Um, I mean, if you hate the quarterbacks available to you, then by all means, do what you think you need to do. But, I mean, you would absolutely have to be convinced that these guys can't do it. You know, that they are absolutely not the guy. And and I just don't think you can say that. Um, There's just so much ambiguity when it comes to picking quarterbacks that the the truth is that no one knows, right? So if you have some... If you have some sense that that this might be a viable player available to you uh, at the most important position in sports, you've got the number four overall pick. It's a it's a golden opportunity. I just don't think you can bypass it. I, I really don't. And I would, <laughs> if they do, I can't wait to participate in the press conference after the draft because <laughs> oh, yeah. that is going to be fireworks. ESPN Colts reporter Stephen Holder joining us on the Pale Slickers Hotline. It's Kevin and Query on a Friday morning. Uh, we haven't gotten to talk to you, Stephen, just because you're out in, uh, for the NFL owners meetings in a different time zone. So what were your biggest takeaways from the NFL owners meetings? Yeah, I, a couple things. Number one, I mean, you know, we thought about Lamar Jackson uh, based on the comments of Jamerse and, and Chris Ballard. Look, I still don't think it's going to happen, okay? I really don't. And I can outline all the reasons, but you've probably heard them, right? However, I would say this. No one else in the in the NFL is talking about Lamar Jackson in as specific terms as the Colts. Like, who else? I don't think there's anybody else. I mean, they're answering very specific questions and leaving the door literally wide open to the idea of acquiring Lamar Jackson. That is a very different thing than actually going out there and doing it. All I'm saying is they're the only team that that has seemed, uh, publicly at least, to do that. And I think that's notable. I really do think it's notable. Uh, again, this is not a prediction there it's going to happen. I don't think it will. But if and when Lamar Jackson has an epiphany and says, you know what, this ain't working out for me, <laughs> I better lower my standards and expectations. If and when that happens – then maybe there's a conversation to be had and and maybe you can engage 
in an actual negotiation. Whether you think it should or shouldn't happen, I still think that if, there, if the opportunity exists, you should investigate it. And I think that's what they're doing. They've said they're doing that. And I, I think on that note, the other thing related to that, the other surprise for me was that Jim Irsay's opposition to the Lamar Jackson idea was not so much about the money, even though that's, I think he's underplaying the money. <laughs> His opposition was, well, you know, the draft compensation, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that. I, to me, the two first-round draft picks, I, don't, I actually don't care. I really don't care about that. I, I think their quarterback situation is such that they, they have to be willing to do anything at this point. So, anyway, that, that was my first thought. The other thing I would say is my other takeaway from the week is there's a little bit of a, a messaging problem for the Colts because I read between the lines and I hear two individuals and Chris Ballard and Jim Mersey who are saying, we're going to take our time and do this right. But at the same time, Jim Mersey is Jim Mersey. And he's talking about, you know, I want to build a sustainable model and win a couple more Lombardies. And, and I'm like, well, dude, you got to walk before you crawl. So I, it's very interesting that juxtaposition. And I asked Jim Ursay, I said, look, you have been through a lot and you've been patient for a long time and the results haven't been there. I said, are you willing to be further patient and display further patience? And, and, and he did admit, you know, there's a little tug of, look, excuse me, a little tug of war there. So that'll be a really interesting thing to watch play out. I don't think this is going to be a quick fix for the Colts. And I think they understand that. Okay. I want to get back to that. Stephen, but at the same time, I also wanted to ask you this because one of the things that I feel like is never talked about, I would agree with you that there are not a lot of franchises that people are like automatically associating with Lamar Jackson. But am I off base and asking myself this? I'm about to sneeze. Sorry. Um, am I off base and asking myself this? Like, why would Baltimore trade him in the AFC? I, am I the only one thinking about the fact of if you're the Baltimore Ravens, and I know maybe there aren't teams just lined up, but aren't you looking to prioritize towards getting him to the NFC as opposed to the AFC? Yeah, I, I think in a perfect world, yes. I do agree with that. I just don't think this is a perfect world for the Baltimore Ravens. I think the other variable here is, and it's it's related to the question you're asking, look, <laughs> Lamar is certainly sending signals that – he's not really uh, that keen on going back to Baltimore. <laughs> I mean, we have to ask ourselves now, it's not our problem or my problem or your problem, but just generally as football observers, we have to ask ourselves now, is that something that can be repaired, that relationship? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, particularly when he's on the franchise tag and you've got to go through this again next year if he, if he plays on that tag. Now, a year from now, they would have to do this all over again and make a decision on, on how to approach next offseason. I mean, that's exhausting. And then you have just the, the lingering, you know, feelings in the meantime and the fact that it's, it's going to be unresolved up, up until then. I don't know, man. I, I just – I think to assume that that is just going to be a, a rubber stamp situation, he goes back and he plays and everybody lives happily ever after – I think that's crazy. I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, Lamar's a different guy, and, and I think that's something we have to take into account here. So, so I say that to say, to your question, 
why would they ever trade him in the AFC? Well, I mean, the the reality is <laughs> they don't have a lot of options, and the, and the options they do have are not great. Okay, secondly, Stephen, you have covered, and it's interesting to me, the NFL owners meeting, you know, five years ago, I don't know that I ever even knew, like, when they were. Now it's kind of on that annual NFL calendar. I mean, they've done a great job of, of always having things going on. But you have covered how many of these owners' meetings where you've gone down and met with Jim Irsay as part of the contingency covering the Colts? Oh, a, a ton. I mean, you know, seven or eight, something okay. like that. Yeah. So his when he when he held, and for those that are unfamiliar, Stephen Holder, ESPN.com, is our guest on the Payless Circus Hotline. For those that are unfamiliar, in Arizona, towards the end of the time down there at the owners' meeting, Jim Irsay, where he was staying – had those that covered the Colts come to sit down and kind of a fireside chat type thing in that capacity versus other years that you have covered Jim Irsay at different points where the franchise was sitting, his demeanor, his mood, everything was the same, different, whatever from years past. I would actually say pretty similar. It's, it is very interesting. He, <laughs> listen, he is – he will never not be fascinating, okay? I think when you talk about years where they had uh, had great success to years where uh, they had had just really difficult times, I mean, he has always been in a really engaging conversation. It's always been very thoughtful. Uh, he <laughs> – Mike Wells and I, my old friend, we talk about this one all the time. Actually, KB was there this time. I think maybe about 2015 or 16 when he hosted us on a yacht. That's true at a marina in Florida. Now, I'll, I can't say I've ever done another interview on a yacht. That's the only one. But that was a very typical thing where, you know, he had us in and, the, you know, there's a living room on there and we sat down and we all kind of chatted and, uh, Look, that's just his thing. He he loves to kind of be the center of attention, and and not in an egotistical way. More so in in terms of just being he likes to host and that sort of thing. And I mean, we went over to his hotel suite at a at a completely different uh, venue, the where than where the owners' meetings were being held. And you know, that's just kind of in line with how Ursay uh, carries himself with these things. So I, I'm kind of rambling here, but that's it was very similar, and and I think right in line with with how he's always operated. He just loves to talk about his football team and, and kind of, I think, enjoys hearing what others think about it as well. Stephen Holder joining us on the Payless Liquors Hotline for just another minute. Stephen, uh, who do more NFL owners hate, Daniel Snyder or Jimmy Haslam because of that guaranteed contract he now to Deshaun Watson? Oh, boy, that is a great question. In fact, my next story, I, I just – just recently here turned it in and it will run in the next few days. My, my next story is about, you know, whether there has been any momentum toward um, other fully guaranteed contracts after what the Haslam's did in Cleveland with, with Deshaun Watson. And let me tell you, the answer is no. Okay. They are not trying to hear it. They hate that guy. Okay. That is true. Uh, but I don't, I think Daniel Snyder though, in, in one respect, he has brought them public shame, you know, and that is like a different problem for them. Uh, at the end of the day, I think the Haslam thing is an annoyance. With with Snyder, even though 
really Ursay has been the only guy to publicly kind of lambast him. I, I just think they don't want to deal with that stuff. You know what I mean? They don't want to be asked these questions. They don't want to have to hear it. They want to go on TV and talk about what a wonderful league they have and, and how successful they are and how much money they make. That's all they really care about. And now they have to deal with this guy just constantly dragging them down. And I think they're annoyed and they're just exhausted with him. So Haslam, they're annoyed with, I think, you know, with Snyder, even though he's probably not the only owner who has skeletons in his closet with Snyder, it's just publicly made them have to deal with things that, that they just do not want to talk about. Yeah. Snyder's got the Paris catacombs in his closet. I mean, there's a difference, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Hey, for sure. Stephen, as a um, as an IU guy, I mean, I grew up a diehard IU fan. I think that fandom's kind of waned now because I just, I don't know, like I, you know, I have an objectivity about me now, right? I'm older, but, but I know that like my friends that went to IU and everything else, IU's a basketball school. Everybody loves IU basketball, and every once in a while, a couple years ago, for example. You know, the football team had a great year, went and played in the Gator Bowl. And people are like, man, it's cool. Oh, it's fun. The football team's great. You know, go Hoosiers. When's basketball season start? <laughs> Safe to say that as a Miami graduate, the same thing happens with the basketball team being in the Final Four. How big a deal is this to the Miami community from, I mean, I'm saying from the University of Miami community. I'm assuming that is it is yeah. it a good analogy? Hey, this is awesome. Uh, when spring practice? A hundred percent. Okay. So here's my barometer. I've got a group chat, you know, text messages with my, my closest friends from college. There's five of us. We all are in this group chat. Just, you know, talk about the kids and families and all that. Right. And so we talk about football, about the Miami football program, probably about 80% of the time in this group chat. <laughs> and then suddenly in the last like two weeks, Someone started texting about basketball and then, and then there'd be another text about basketball. And then it became a flurry of text about basketball until last Sunday where it was like, Oh my God, do we have to go to Houston? And we all just kind of were like, what, what's happening here? No, it is exactly like you just said is a perfect analogy because while the basketball team has even before this, right? Even before going to the final four, the basketball team at Miami has had much more recent success than the football team. That is true. They have been consistently like pretty good. But your epicenter memories in college are of football, and that's what oh, you're chasing, right? A hundred percent. I can't even – I mean, and there were some moments with the basketball team. I remember the John Salmons era, if anybody remembers that guy. Like, you know, we had some moments and were relevant and, and won some big games, beat some some blue bud – excuse me, blue blood tongue twister programs from time to time but it wasn't ever anything consistent and also it always it was always like yeah but you know we're still a football school and that mentality has never changed whether it should or shouldn't is not the point but that mentality has never changed and and and, and at the end of the day look florida college basketball is fun you know like the university of florida has been a fantastic program for many years florida state has a great program that leonard hamilton has run down there for many years and at the end of the day, people just kind of like, it's something to pass the time. It's a football state, period. All right, feet to the fire, Stephen. Your Hurricanes playing in the national championship, and if so, against who? 
Oh man, listen, give me give me Miami FAU. I want all the chaos. Mm-hmm. I I want them to burn it all down. I want to see that. I just I don't think the rest of the country wants to, but I just want to see it. I want chaos and I want everybody to be completely just appalled. You know, Stephen, so let's I don't, do it. I don't know if you know this or not, but you know, just based on current events, there are some plans in parts of Florida to burn it down anyway, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you <laughs> Yeah. Hey, um it's interesting place. Okay, let me ask you this. You get your choice right now. You ready? Yeah. Canes win two games and they are your national champions or the football program returns to the college football playoff in the next three years. One or the other, but you can't have mm. both. Which one are you going with? Mm. Oh, my God. You know what? I, I think I want to I be in those college football playoffs. <laughs> I just, it, yeah. Yep. I, that's so sad. It's so sad. There but you I, go. I got to be honest. Yeah. I, I, hey, at least you're being honest, right? I, I mean, listen, it, you know why? Because – this is this is like icing on the cake, man. Okay, let me just say, like this basketball situation is just icing on the cake. It's like, oh, this is house money in Vegas. That's all this is. It's like, all right, they made a run. Oh, shoot! But the thing is, you're oh never going to be this close again. You know what I mean? I mean, I shouldn't say that. I mean, yeah, Jim Lerner right. is a heck of a no, coach, no, but, but you get right. what I'm saying, right? And then, yeah, you're- so so here's the scenario: Miami upsets UConn. Miami wins the national championship over San Diego State. Jim Laranega says, I can go no higher than this at Miami. I'm over 70 years old. I've had a great career. I've taken two schools to the Final Four. And Miami cuts down the nets and celebrates and then finds out that Dusty May and Florida Atlantic stayed in the stands to watch the game, and they go over and they get to Dusty May, and they say it's 42 miles away from where you're currently working. And he becomes your next coach at Miami, right? I, yeah, I mean, I guess that, that's like not a ridiculous scenario, honestly. That, that's like a very plausible scenario because I'll tell you why. <laughs> because if Miami, if Laranaga leaves Miami, I don't think they go out and I don't think they can go out and get necessarily. I know this sounds ridiculous if they want a national championship, but like they're not a. It's not an automatic. It's not a place where you can automatically win. Right. I mean. Yeah, I, I mean, he's a hell of a coach. I, I don't think he gets enough credit for being a, yeah. a really good coach because you look at he's his fantastic. track record, every place that he left, the, the, the program where he left had success for like three years and then the water found its level, right? I mean, like he clearly yeah. has been the guy. Um, and he's, you know, he can dance decently for a 70-year-old guy. He's kind of cool. He's he's like Larry yeah. David. He's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, this is your your IU you know, scenario that you painted is a hundred percent right. I mean, this is like IU being in the national championship game in football. That's exactly what this is. And I mean, who could duplicate that? Right. I mean, who could do that? Did right? you ever so see I, that? I Steven, you're probably too young. Did, are you familiar with the made for TV movie called the day after came out like in the mid eighties? It was a, it was a movie that was made about the post apocalypse basically a post nuclear war. Okay, okay right, it like right. put the fear of God in everybody. Uh, when I was a kid, I actually thought it was a movie that was made about the day after Indiana winning the national championship in football. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you because know, basically the same thing. <laughs> Ain't yeah. ever going to happen, right? All right, Stephen, we appreciate your time as always. Thank you so much for jumping on with us and have a great weekend. Go Hurricanes. Right, Go Canes. Stephen Holder on the Payless Leaguers Hotline. We are way over. We'll get you on the other side. Kevin and Quarry, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan.